Hello and welcome to episode 160 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I'm Anthony Malaki and my co-host James Rundle will be joining in a little bit, but first we have a special guest. Joining me today is Pete Cherowich. Uh, Pete is the president of Corporate and Institutional Services at Northern Trust. And today we're going to be talking about data security and privacy and how it's becoming increasingly more challenging. And we'll talk about some other industry issues a little bit toward the end. Uh, but Pete, first of all, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. Of course. And just for our people that maybe aren't as familiar with you or with what what you do at Northern Trust, why don't you give us a little bit about your background? I know you've been there for over a decade now, I think. Um, tell us a little bit about how uh, CNIS, that, that business unit works. Yeah. So if you think of Northern Trust, we're well known as a private bank um, in the U.S. We're basically 50-50. There's a private bank and then there's a corporate group, which I run. The corporate group itself is made up of divisions that run custody, um, administration for hedge funds, private equity. We do it on a global basis, so we're in 19 countries. It also includes capital markets, so securities lending, um, brokerage, foreign exchange. Um, and for good measure, we also have a commercial bank and uh, give credit out to our clients as well. <laughs> Very good. And you know, we've written a little bit about some of the projects that you have going on through both blockchain projects, um, using cloud, machine learning. You guys have a lot of different things going on in the tech world. To, to start off with, though, yeah. you wrote a LinkedIn post. It was really interesting. that The, the title of it is uh, Security versus Convenience, the Ultimate Trade-Off. And it's something that James and I, we talk a lot about. Um, this idea of in everyday in our everyday lives, we want convenience. We want things to be easy, to be interacting. Yet, though, we all now have, we walk around with listening devices. We're now putting Echoes and Google Homes and stuff like that into our houses, into our homes. We, we people are uh, voluntarily giving their DNA to third parties uh, to check their heritage and ancestry. So in just our everyday lives, we see people volunteering, voluntarily giving away some of that privacy mm-hmm. for... Uh, services and convenience. I got to imagine that this is also something that's becoming more and more tricky. And so maybe what led you to write this post? So I think, first of all, you've got to split the security versus convenience into two different buckets. Mm -hmm. Okay. Bucket one, let's call it the TSA bucket. Mm -hmm. And that is, I'm not giving anything up in terms of private data and things like that. But I want security when I go on the plane. Mm -hmm. What am I willing to put up with when I get onto that plane? Today in our world, unfortunately, one of the biggest uh, technologies we all still use is Excel. And we email it back and forth and things like that. That gives us an issue where potentially someone can get at that. Mm -hmm. So there's that issue. The other is the issue we were just talking about, which is you collect all this data. Whose data is it? What what can you do with that data? Is there power in that data? Um, Yes. Do you need everyone's permission? How do you get that, et cetera? So they're two separate issues. Both are um, obviously both very important. Well, actually, it's it's funny you say that. So that actually just kind of just jolted something in my head. But looking at the alternative data world, banks, custodian banks, you sit on this wealth of information that can be potentially packaged and monetized in some ways. But then there are also 
contractual agreements, regulatory agreements, and trying to figure out what you're allowed to do. So is that something that, you, that, you, that you're still trying to work out in your head as to how that all works? Oh, um, yeah, I will tell you right now, though, that there's no longer any working it out. It's not your data unless mm-hmm. you have some con- signed contract that allows you to use it. Plain and simple. So you take so, it in. There's nothing else that you can really do with that. You, you can. What you can do with it is you can provide their data with outside um, data that you can mix together and mm-hmm. provide them more insights. But taking two clients' data and putting them together and giving insights to both, you need contractual approval to do that. So even if it's, um, even if you say this is all anonymized data, this is all you can't use it for you, anything. You across just can't. That. Now, Ten years ago, fifteen years ago, I would argue that you probably couldn't. But, you know, it was gray and things like that. But the whole world's changed and everyone is very, very specific now. And it's just not even a conversation. You have to have sign off to use that data. Sure. So as we're going about this, as firms are trying to navigate this new field of privacy versus convenience, can you provide maybe an example of ways that of, of ways that firms in the institutional space in, or in the capital market space, retail, there is a lot of areas, certainly, with your online banking, as you mentioned mm-hmm. um, in, um, in the LinkedIn post. Can you talk about how on the institutional side, on the capital market side, how firms are having to navigate this? We want to offer convenience to our customers, to our clients, uh, but, but we also me, have to worry about I'll privacy. I'll give you a, a great example that's, that's valid both in the wealth space, sort of the individual retail, and the institutional space. So you send me an email, you're my client, and you say, you know what, we want you to wire $100,000 to this account, mm-hmm. all right? Um, so I call back, let's say you, know, you have a family office, you're from, I call back, and on my authorized list, there's um, Susan and Pete. But you know what? Both of those aren't there right now. Mm-hmm. And so Mark's there. We know Mark's works there. Can I take Mark's word for it mm-hmm. that we can wire that money out? Technically, no, we cannot. So convenience is actually just taking the email, mm-hmm. which would be a very bad idea given the ability of people to hack emails. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Second is when we call back, you have to follow the rules. And so having everybody understand that all of these procedures and processes that are put in place, all right, um, are very important. Now, here's the next piece. Let's say I put a tool on your desktop, which enables you to go ahead and um, um, wire that money yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? I've had one organization where the email was hacked. Um, the client told somebody else in the client shop to go ahead and change the wire instructions. That was all approved. So they did everything internally via email. Mm-hmm. And then you know, the, the, um, the, the systems then used to then send a wire. Mm-hmm. So you have to put controls not only for us to make sure we don't do something, we're now trying to think of controls to put in place so the clients can't have issues. It reminds me of an article I read where somebody's Venmo account was negative because they were um, uh, a victim of fraud mm-hmm. and they refused to pay it because they said, you know, Venmo should have uh, figured this out. Yeah. Uh, well, how's that possible, <laughs> right? But the expectation now is the facilitator of all these payments, the banks, will have extra controls in to make sure that fraud is caught. And we're all trying to do that, right? And you can't be perfect because you cannot catch everything, but you can catch a lot behind the scenes by looking at data, looking at anomalies. Wow, that's, that's interesting. Why would they change the wire instructions to China? Maybe I should double 
double check that. Or this big wire never sure. went there, I'll look at that. So we're all looking at sort of AI to sit down and look at trends across data to say, can we protect our clients? And the flag stuff ahead of time to become a little bit more proactive than finding out there's a problem right. later on. But, but by the way, let's say that you're a big, huge client for me and you've never sent a wire to China but you have a big private equity deal. You put the instructions through and you only had five minutes and my flag goes up and it takes me six minutes to actually confirm back to you we missed the payment yeah. and you miss your investment. What happens then? Yeah, yeah. angry customer. Angry customer, right? <laughs> so, so there's no perfect answer and we've got to try to balance this, right? For yeah. how much control do you put in the client's hands and how much responsibility do they have then if there's something happens on their side versus our side? Is it something where Technology is speeding everything up, and we, because that's part of the convenience part. We want the speed of things. Is it something where almost, from a regulatory perspective, from either industry coming together and agreeing upon a perspective, but where we have to say, technology allows us to do stuff in milliseconds now. We have to be able to slow this down in order to keep up with privacy and security concerns, or is that just a non-starter just to begin with? Or a dumb question? No, no, there are no dumb questions, <laughs> right? Okay, I, um, I think it's a misnomer to believe that you can slow down technology. Yeah. That that path is happening. Well, you can't slow down technology, but you can create artificial barriers, I guess? That's the security versus convenience. Yes. So absolutely, you can create those barriers to make sure that you double check things. They take time. And the trick is making sure that everyone knows you're doing that mm -hmm. so that that's expected. Um, because otherwise, you know, that there's lots of bad guys out there and the bad guys are pretty smart and they're trying to figure out how very quickly to take advantage of all of this technology mm -hmm. and um, do so in unique ways. It's, it, so in it you wrote, um, where is it? Um, look, actually, I have it, I have it uh, highlighted here. Okay, security should trump convenience every time. That being said, I do recognize that society expects a certain level of convenience, especially in business. So, at your firm, how do you, what, what goes into the decision-making process? Because that has to be something that is decided at a management level and then has to become cultural that is uh, kind of almost, I would imagine, uh, waterfall down to the rest of the tech and business side of the organization. Is that a fair way of putting it, or do you it, disagree with that assessment? No, no, it is. So I just, I just hired um, a chief privacy officer for my business line. Mm -hmm. just for my business line, to help me figure out what we should be doing organizationally to create a technical construct for our client interaction model. So everybody knows Dropbox. Mm -hmm. Instead of email, should I shut down external email for everybody? And if I want to take a spreadsheet and, and actually still use Excel, then I'm going to put it into the Dropbox. But you know what? You can actually put code around these things now where I could make everybody put metadata into the spreadsheet that had the number of accounts the client has, the client name, all that stuff. And on their Dropbox, I can put code there that's checking the metadata back and forth to make sure the right data is going back and forth. Mm -hmm. right? Because right now, by the way, there's a lot of issues where in the industry, people will be sending each other's data 
to the wrong client, mm-hmm. all right? And do it by mistake because you have thousands of these interactions and you make a mistake. Um, we've seen regulators make mistakes before where we get apology letters from the regulators to say, we're sorry, we, you know, your data went to the wrong place. Yeah. Um, it is rampant across the industry because Excel is still a major tool that we use and email is still a major interaction mode. Until those two things are completely obliterated, right, um, we won't fix it. The problem is, you, you won't ever get there yeah. because every time you automate something fully, the investment banks create new things to invest in. There's new manual processes. And so I don't think you'll ever truly get away from having to have some sort of um, interaction model that is communicative like a um, email, chats, or whatever. The key is, do you go to Symphony? Do you go somewhere else? How do you actually put the structure in place? And, and sorry, I'm rambling, but one other piece now is we have many clients looking at all this. One client wants to use Symphony. One client wants to use something sure. else. So now I've got potentially 10 different interaction models with every client wanting their own. Yeah. I'm like, well, wait a minute, time out. Uh, this doesn't work for me either. So I know what's going to happen is someone's going to invent, oh, you know what, Pete, for a million dollars, we'll put a layer on top of all those that you can communicate with all those, right? Yes. And I'm like, ah, okay. So... Somehow, we as an industry in financial services, which really takes the clients, the buy side, the sell side, everybody to get together, say, how are we going to talk to each other? Yeah. What are we going to do? Well, it's it's so funny you say it. So, so last week, we were actually talking, I was speaking with um, Simon Hazlitt, and we were talking more about just cloud structure and stuff like that. But we got into the discussion about how it's, as much as we create these workflow and chat solutions to make our lives easier, all it does become a new workflow and chat thing that's add-on. So I have email, I have Slack, I have instant messaging, I have all these different things, and now I have to, one thing was supposed to rule them all, but it never does because either my unit in this organization doesn't use the same thing that that one does, or my, uh, my services here don't use the same thing that my clients over there use, and it creates this Everybody keeps on trying to have the one ring to rule them all, but then a new ring just seems to come along every single time. And so it's it's tough to kind of find that balancing act. It's it's impossible right now, yeah. but that's we are in the midst of trying to do that because, at least for us, we have to have one consistent model um, in order to ensure right that we're locked down appropriately. Is that where something like containerization, this idea of desktop app interoperability of... You know, so with kind of with what OpenFin's doing with ChartIQ with Finsemble, there's a couple different initiatives that exist in the industry where to get these different applications to talk to each other in a secure and encrypted way, do you see that as being the way forward? Or do we have to rethink the whole structure and almost create industry utilities that just these are going to be central repositories almost of day. Where do you kind of see, what's the solution to that? Yeah, so, I mean, we are dealing with our clients more and more with APIs back and forth, right? So the, so I do think that, you know, the technology is moving fast enough where you have on the core interactions, right? You, you have a lockdown in, um, model. The, the issue is all of the esoteric um, uh, uh, questions that pop up, investments that they're making, that they're, they're just not automated because mm-hmm. they were just invented. and Or the question, there's no way you could have predicted that question and I need somebody internally to be able to run the query and get the, get the answer for either the sell side or the buy side, whatever, and then making sure they do that correctly and the answer goes to the right party, right? That's very hard. And because there is a thousand, you know, sure. thousands and thousands of different um, Q&A that could occur. Is this why I'm not 
we've actually spoken about this in the past in some other calls previously. I'm not the biggest believer in blockchain technologies, mm-hmm. but I, I like the way that you have always described it as being like, you don't view it as being a panacea for the industry. You think that there are specific use cases where it can be valuable and better than traditional databases and stuff like that. Is that why, though, is that why you think there is so much hype and desire for blockchain to be successful beyond the companies that are looking to make a buck and be able to sell this kind of a thing? Do you view it that being the reason for its uh, proliferation, the idea of it? Um, so, yeah. So, first of all, I think the reason for proliferation is because a huge amount of the world out there thinks blockchain and Bitcoin are the same thing, okay? <laughs> so, let's just put that aside, yeah. all right? And what I'm a believer in is that this industry, in order to continue to take cost out, because, you know, our fees are going down, right? Pressure's happening. They want to pay, you know, everybody wants to pay less for those services. How do we get more efficient? The only way to get more efficient is by all of us having the same standard. Mm-hmm. The reason we have so much interoperability issues is that nobody has the same standards. So the sell side may have an identifier that calls something X. You know, the buy side may be Y. We may be Z, right? How do we then all match? We all have reconcilements, right? You talk to somebody from Silicon Valley, and they're like, you're reconciling? What do you mean reconciling? What is that, that?" (laughs) right? So what blockchain, why I'm excited about blockchain is that it's almost like a dark horse to force people to go on standards. Now, are there other technologies to do that? Yes, but if, you know, and I have no idea whether the the actual blockchain that we have now is that, if we go back to the video analogy, is that streaming or is that the beta, right? Not beta isn't, but beta VHS, et cetera, right? Who knows, okay, what it is, but, if people get to standards, so if Australia is successful and they implement blockchain, right, the identifier they'll use to match, everybody's going to have to use that identifier. That means anybody that wants to go in there will have to have that identifier in the system, which means by definition, you should have no reconciliations now because everybody has the same number and is matching. Because this is something that I, I haven't followed as closely, but our, the folks that cover reference data for Waters Technology, it's something they write about all the time, but LEI, the legal entity yeah. identifier, this has been something that's been decades in the making, and it seems that it's not here yet, right? Or that or that there's that's still not fully accepted? I don't know. Isn't that kind of a similar thing, but it's not working out? Totally. But yeah. but you have to buy one. Yeah. And, and by the way, if you have to do the reporting, so you got to sit down and go, okay, I'm going to use this LEI matrix or that one, right? And then what if what if there's two separate ones? You've got to reconcile those and figure it out, right? Yeah. Look at Omgeo. So Omgeo, you know, sure. um, matching, you know uh, matching system, right? They've been at that for 20 years yeah. or more, and they still don't have every single organization on, right? Um, so standards take time, right? Because basically everybody jumps in and tries to say, wow, this is going to be great. I can make a buck. You end up with multiple, and then no one wants to pay the money to actually converge on one. It yeah. happens over time. In the meantime, you got a lot of reconcilements. Yeah. Is this why, you know, utility projects, because the idea, in theory, this can all be solved with industry utilities. But they're always so hard to get out, whether it's Project Colon, um, there is the cybersecurity initiative that the DTCC tried to, the FIS, I can't remember the name of the acronym of it. Yep. But there have been a couple industry utilities that have tried to get off the ground that stumbled along the way. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm an old guy, GSTPA, okay, okay from the 90s. They blew tons and tons of money. 
Okay. What was GSTPA? Oh, that Global Straight Through Processing Association. Okay. Okay. So they actually tried to have one utility where all trades around the globe would go through. Yeah. Um, the bottom line, at the end of the day, uh, all of the, the custodians wanted it and the sell side signed up, but the buy side would have had to change all their systems in, store in order to accept the standard. And like, what's the business case? I have STP. I hit my autofax button. All right. This was a while ago. Yeah. And, the trades, <laughs> and the trades go. All right. So what's the point? And that's the other problem with automation. If you sit down, if I look at my business and someone decides, oh, you know what? We just created this new type of variance swap. I'm going to sit down and say, I've got four of those a year. It's going to cost me 30 grand or 40 grand to change my system to automate that. Yeah. Do I really want to do that or do I just have someone bang it out in Excel and put the results in? Sure. Well, especially after 2008, with all the regulatory requirements that have come down the pike, it's the, the, the battle for budget is it's oh. always a concern. So, yeah, sometimes you're just like, you know, I don't need to make this change the right now. Business case doesn't stack up. Yeah. And then if you have lots of those, though, ultimately, then you have lots more reconcilements, lots more spreadsheets, et cetera. And that's where the industry is right now. Now, mind you, we've moved, right, because back in the day, mortgage-backed securities used to be offline in spreadsheets, mm -hmm. right? They're fully automated. So the world does move forward. Um, it's just the, the number of ways to invest your money and the unique structures and all of that are definitely getting more and more complicated. Well, let me ask you this then. So to go back a little bit to the privacy end of it, in Europe, obviously, you had the general data protection rule, GDPR, which it was funny in the lead up to because that, that deadline came a few months after MIFID 2 was supposed to go fully live. And I, I think that it caught a lot of people off guard by just how sweeping this was going to be, how challenging uh, it would be. And I, I think that a lot of people got tripped up on it. As somebody, you know, have you seen a change as far as the interactions that you have to have with clients uh, due to GDPR? 180 degrees. So um, every client, so when it first came out, um, no one knew what actually was a breach or wasn't a breach based on GDPR. Mm -hmm. So every single thing that happened, so for instance, let's say that you had um, holdings uh, and you had a failed trade for 20 shares of IBM and somehow that one failed trade you had went to a wrong, um, didn't go, went to HSBC instead of JP Morgan, mm -hmm. all right? That would be a breach and you'd be like, oh, I think I have to report that to the regulator. Mm -hmm. And so you're all upset because there was a data breach. One failed trade is completely meaningless in the big scheme of things, sure. right? Suddenly now, it's a major compliance issue at the top of the house. Even worse, if there's anything that has their client information on it, anything now, that's a big deal because obviously always was a big deal, but now um, if, for instance, you know, you had a, a share register, God, God forbid, from one client went to another client, you know they never opened the spreadsheet, you know they never did anything, you grabbed it back, you have all this proof, you have signed documentation, no one ever looked at it, mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Yeah. It's all reportable. And those you got to go back to all these people now and say, hey, your data went here, but here's what happened. Obviously, everybody gets upset. So the bar across the globe is so raised. And what I didn't appreciate at the beginning with GDPR is I thought it was going to stay in Europe. Mm -hmm. But everybody's so global yeah. now, it's it's just gone global. Everything's so interconnected. E it's completely. Yeah. Completely. It's, it's a, so maybe then to, we'll talk about some other things in just a second, but... 
best practices maybe or just lessons learned along the way do you have advice do you have thoughts as for ways that either in individual firms or as an industry we need to move forward yeah i would say that we're well beyond the concept of training our staff to be more careful go slower okay do things we have to have operational technical solutions to be able to lock things down. And that's lock things down both sides, right? Mm -hmm. That's data going out to make sure it's correct, and that's acting on instructions and fraud coming in, right? It's got to be technical and procedural because if you don't have that, ultimately, humans make mistakes. Yeah. And, you know, even if you're 99.99% correct, if you're striking an NAV, and you have a little bit of a mistake, you know, you can write a small check. Yeah. But on the privacy piece now, it's to their clients, it's there. Fraud can be big numbers. So you have to figure out how to get perfect. Mm -hmm. And we're just a long way as an industry from being perfect. Okay. And then, you know, one of the other interesting things that happened this week, um, speaking of just data sharing, but yeah. uh, BNY Mellon announced uh, it's offering custodial data and accounting services through BlackRock's Aladdin platform, yep. uh, specifically for uh, common clients of both companies. What does this mean as far as a trend in the industry? Where do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that, uh, on that agreement? So, first of all, I, I need to get better marketing because we did a Bloomberg release uh -huh. uh, last week, uh -huh. all right? And, and clearly the Bank of New York Aladdin release got more, <laughs> got more press, all right? Um, so, all joking aside, two things is, is good for them, all right? Um, I like the direction, and, and the direction that's headed is that we as custodians, right, uh, we need to be able to integrate with the tool set that our clients want to use on their desktop. Okay. So, um, Aladdin is not exclusive. So, you know, we're working with BlackRock as well to, mm -hmm. to be able to integrate there. We've done so with Bloomberg. We'll and BNY can interact with Bloomberg. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Yep. So we'll sit down and do that. What we're not trying to do is say, you know what? Here we have we have one OMS. This is this is our one thing. You gotta if you don't um, like what we've built, go somewhere else. Because mm -hmm. you know, for me as as a custodian, what are we good at? And we've never been, um, in my view at least, um, sort of the developer of the OMS technology. That sure. has always been other organizations. You know what? Let's partner. I think that's a better strategy yeah. and clearly one that, that BNY is following as well. Is that good? So the, the consolidation that we've seen, the significant consolidation that we've seen in the OMS space, is this, a, so it almost seems like when I read these announcements, it's kind of like, oh, well, okay, you know, Northern Trust doing its Bloomberg, um, uh, uh, BNY is doing its BlackRock. So again, we're kind of creating frag almost fragmentation in some ways. Maybe I have that wrong. You no. think this is actually for the best, that this is the industry streamline itself in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I think that what it is is that let's be let's be serious. As a as a provider of a desktop tool to our clients. Mm -hmm. Certain certain of our clients, the the accountants and the people that need to look at the data, they like you going into our tool set, right? right? They get all the data they need. But if you're the portfolio manager and you're staring at Aladdin all day, you'd rather go into Aladdin. If you're staring at Bloomberg all day, you'd rather have our data be directly APIs into, sure. into Bloomberg, right? Sure. Why would you want to click off and go into Northern Trust Passport? You want the data there. So that's what we're trying to do is actually integrate with how our clients want to do business. So it's a little bit of the convenience factor because people want to be in their ecosystem. For us, dictating what ecosystem they should be in is a dangerous game. Because mm -hmm. what if I pick wrong? Yeah. 
And that could be both buying it. If I spend a lot of money and buy one, if I picked wrong, that's a lot of money I wasted. Yep. But if I also say I'm only going Bloomberg, that's kind of silly too, right? We like Bloomberg. We like Aladdin, okay? Um, so we'll continue to go through and make sure we're connected with as many OMSs as are there so people realize it doesn't matter what you buy from an OMS perspective, we're LinkedIn. Okay. And then just as far as product rollouts that we're looking at 2009, we've obviously written a couple articles about some of the stuff that you're working on in 2009. We'll link to those articles that we've written about previously. But yep. maybe just a quick uh, product, maybe some of the highlights that you think that are going to be coming out for 2019 so far. Yeah, so, so a couple of things. If I look at one thing that's really um, surprised me of how hot it is, all right, is what we call integrated trading solutions. And what's happened is everyone has realized, especially with MIFID II the, and, and the fee compression on the asset management side, the cost of running a trading desk mm-hmm. all right, versus the value of that trading desk is outsized, especially if you're a small to mid-sized manager. And by the way, small to mid-sized manager can be up to 50 or 100 billion now. All okay. right? So as you look at that, you're saying, hmm, we now have 35 organizations that have outsourced their trading desk to us where we on an agency basis go ahead, we do all the trading, we do all their MIFID II reporting, we link it in, we do the FX automatically, and we do it all. And um, I'm, I'm stunned at how much that has taken off and how much interest we have. Yeah. And it's really, I think, more due to the fact that um, asset managers are under extreme pressure with fees. And if you're big and fine, okay, you can figure out other ways to get it. But if you're mid-sized and you're trying to figure out how to save money, right, you're looking at everything, trading costs um, are definitely out there. Yeah. So that's one that um, huge uptake. The other one that's interesting is something we're calling, ironically, we're talking about um, uh, OMSs, is front office solutions. Okay. A marketplace that has been underserved, in our opinion, is the, again, small to mid-sized asset owner that has hired a chief investment officer. So it's not someone that, you know, the head of HR or CFO is dealing with their pension, right? It's an endowment, a global family office, all right? It's a, um, a pension plan that's, you know, up, you know, $20, $40 billion pension plan that does more allocation. Maybe they do a little bit of investment, but most of their... Um, uh, Efforts are around investing into private equity, hedge funds, um, long-only funds, right? And maybe some overlays or separate accounts that they do. That market has been underserved. So we spent the last two years, we hired a woman, Melanie Pickett, who was a COO from Emory University. And massive uh, uptake as as well there. So we- Why was was it underserved, do you think? Um, It's because, frankly, as they're they're mid-sized, Okay, so a lot of uh, competitors out there were really focused on the big, large asset managers. Um, to be honest, as we look at it, we have a huge part of that market. So mm-hmm. it's kind of obvious if you sat down and you were an MBA student, you say, oh, Northern should do this because they're really big in this mid-market uh, foundation endowment space, et cetera. So they should be developing some mm-hmm. of this stuff. Um, so we're, we're quite excited about that as well. All right. Well, very good. Well, Pete, uh, appreciate it. We'll link to uh, the LinkedIn uh, post that you had put up, but uh, thanks for your time today. No problem. Thank you. Okay, and we are back, and I found James uh, just roaming around the halls randomly, so we pulled him in. Excellent. Yeah. Hi. Hello, everybody. I'm allowed to speak now. You're allowed to speak, yeah. We couldn't trust you to speak while Pete was around, you know? So, no, I'm yeah. literally not allowed to speak. <laughs> so... We, we're going to introduce you to uh, the newest member of our team in just a moment. She's, she's very excited about she's, this. Yeah, yeah, she's so. not at all nervous at all about this in any way. 
But first, uh, before we get to that, one big news story that just came out today, Thursday? Wednesday? Thursday? Today's it's, Thursday? It's Thursday. Yep. Uh, came out today on Thursday. Uh, Wei Shen and I reported uh, that Bloomberg plans to exit um, its sell-side execution order management system, uh, solutions business. And it is going to uh, also unwind its know your customer KYC business lines. So big, I mean, you know, when you think about a company like this exiting uh, an, an OMS prod, uh, suite of solutions mm-hmm. and exiting KYC, it's certainly interesting. Though when we spoke with some people, found not that surprising. So on the KYC front, they are not anywhere near the top. It's a crowded market on KYC AML solutions. And they weren't anywhere near the top, so it's not like it was some profit-driving uh, unit for them. And on the S S E O M S space, C Psalms or Psalms or however they say it, Psalms. Yeah. Um, they will be keeping, as we understand it, they will still be keeping um, their um, excuse me trade order management solutions, Toms, which is a sell-side uh, multi-asset class solution and they still have the uh, asset and investment management aim buy side OMS yep. the CIOMS was its sell side equity uh, equities OMS and just didn't make sense it, 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 from the sounds of it just didn't make sense from, from the people that we spoke with about the story yeah I mean it's got Tom's and I think uh, so two things about this one the interesting thing the other just an observation I think um you know, back in 2014, 2013, SSE OMS, can we just, the sell side OMS, I just call it that. Sell side right? OMS. So, yeah, th- that's enough now. Um, so, shut up, Tony. Um, was <laughs> was really rocking. Um, you know, that was a time when a lot of vendors had very specific, kind of dedicated platforms for specific asset classes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, multi asset systems were all the rage. Like people saying, oh, it's new and innovative nowadays in 2019. I think it's expected that your OMS is going to be able to handle not just equities, but, you know, fixed income or currencies or whatever the hell you want to do with it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Tom's does that, and it's also integrated with its market uh, access risk system. I've bungled that horribly. It's called Mars. Um, okay. And that calculates sort of uh, counterparty exposures and all the rest, and that's sort of seamlessly linked with each other. So it's a more compelling proposition, I guess. Um the interesting part of this, though, I think, is, you know, last year we covered a lot of OMS consolidation between buy-side OMSs, right? Sure. So you had uh, Charles Rowe being bought by State Street. You had uh, Software being bought by SS&C. You had Finesse being bought by ION. And uh, there was just a huge amount of um, shrinking in that space. But it didn't really touch the sell-side mm-hmm. side of things. And now I'm, I'm wondering if maybe this is the first kind of domino to fall in that realm as well. Because, I mean... I know there's a lot of very established players like FlexTrade and all the rest that are sort of in the sell side side of things, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the contagion kind of of consolidation spreads from buy side to sell side. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know because again, they, it's important to mention that they still have their sell side OMS with Tom's. Yeah. This, I, it, it, I guess, it will find out over the next couple of months whether or not this is more indicative. Uh, this is the first domino in, as you say, the sell side space consolidating on the OEMS side, mm-hmm. or is this just simply, as you uh, articulated before, that having something geared toward equities just 
it just didn't make sense. It's there's enough out there that you know what what's kind of the point of it, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess so we'll kind of figure it out over the next couple months. It's the first time anyone's ever called me articulate, by the way. So thank you. That's well done. Really, I mean, you don't sound it, but people you know. say I'm loquacious, but not exactly. articulate. You know, it's uh, um, yeah, and uh, on the KYC side, I guess. It's just hard to make money. There's so many yeah. people doing it. Refinitiv slash Thomson Reuters has been a leader yep. for a while. Dow Jones, um, RDC, uh, and a few other people as well. And even like the ones that, you know, because we, uh, Burt and Taylor put out a report on this in December 2018. Bloomberg didn't make the list. And even like big providers like um, IHS Market, you know, yeah. it you know, wasn't in the top number, five, I don't think, you know, so... It goes to show you just how saturated that market is. So completely makes sense. Why are we doing this? You know, um, it's rare to see Bloomberg retreat though. It is, and actually wind something down and not try and integrate it or sell it or yeah. do whatever. Well, Bloomberg never really sells stuff, I guess. I remember it, but... Doug Taylor said uh, from Burton Taylor. Uh, he said that uh, he, he said exactly that that you don't often see Bloomberg leaving mm-hmm. but he also said that they had like a real estate product that they tried to really boost up and get he's like it's like he's like i'm not even sure if they have it anymore but it's certainly not something that they really highlight for anybody or anything like that so it certainly you know it does happen that you know sometimes you, just, you, you enter into a market it just wasn't working out yeah um sam's was around for a fair amount had some success one uh ward or two with us i know um in the past yeah. so um just uh, it's just the way the market's just uh, the way the market's going now. Yeah. All right. So that story's up online. It was exclusive to us. Uh, we'll see if others report on it. But if they do, they were second. If you're in uh, first, you're last, man. So, which brings us to the most exciting news of the week. On Monday, Waters had a new member of the family join. We did. Rebecca Natal. 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 Yeah. Goes by N A T A L E. Goes by Reb. And Reb is uh, fresh out of college. Went to the same university I did, Plattsburgh State University. Yeah. What's your like high school mascot for? Cardinals are like Go Bears, whatever. Go Cardinals. Go Cardinals. That doesn't have the same ring to it as like. No. No. What we're really known for is well, we're right on the Canadian board, so that's kind of cool. But I guess. um, But uh, our women's hockey team is pretty dominant. So are they called the Cardinals? They're called the Cardinals. Yeah, is the Lady Cards team? maybe. I don't know. I, the Lady Cards sounds right. Yeah, I could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, the they might just cards. all be cards. Cardinals. They might be cards. No, cards works. Go cards. Go cards. Yeah. 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 So, Reb, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm 22. Mm-hmm. Um, I am from this tiny town upstate, about. 30 minutes west of Albany, mm-hmm. and I just moved here to New York on Saturday. Instantly regretting it. Instantly it? regretting it. Yep. I have never felt dumber in my life, <laughs> and after feeling like the smartest person for so long in college, <laughs> And she's really got to work with sucking. us two ourselves yeah. as well, so you yeah, know. Yeah, I know. I know. It's horrible. <laughs> but, um, you know, one day I'll be smarter than you guys, so. One day. One, one day. day. Yeah. One day. We're getting there. With age comes wisdom, as I like to say. And wrinkles. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and <petrification>. And so you were a writer on the student newspaper there, Cardinal Points. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was news editor. News editor there. Oh, that's why it's called Cardinal Points. Right, okay. Jesus <laughs> no, it's just a bird watching. <laughs> <Just a> bird <laughs> watching. <laughs> so these guys are really into bird watching. Huh? Um, won a state award. 
yes. uh, for your coverage. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about that award that you yes. won? Yes. Um, so it was, I was a staff writer at the time. It was um, the fall semester of 20, what year is it? 19? It was 2017. And Smartest person in the room, let me <coughs> tell you. Time flies. She's got a few more years on us. Right? She can build up. It's fun. Um, it was the fall semester 2017, and we got an email from the president of the college's office saying that he had issued a cease and desist letter um, on one of the local fraternities on campus, uh, Pi Alpha Nu. And um, so we wondered what that was about. So we did some, well, actually, we just, all we had to do was listen to rumors on campus, and everyone said it was hazing, it was hazing. Um, so we had to, what I ended up doing is calling the chief of police, asking about um, charges filed, were there any hazing charges filed, who were they filed against, and I got the runaround for a good week um, until the chief of police, uh, can I say names on here? Yeah, okay. if you were in the story, then yeah, why? Yeah, I guess, <laughs> Chief Lottie um, kind of clued me in. He's, he gave me um, one charge, it was a second degree coercion charge. And he gave me um, who it was filed against. It was just one of the brothers. So I went down to the Plattsburgh courthouse a few times trying to find um, the criminal summonses for one, that individual, and any other um, people who were in the fret, any of the other guys. And they were, they kept telling me, we don't have any hazing charges. We don't have any hazing charges. So I went down there, I think, three times in a week. And... Um, finally, I went there and I saw the um, crime reporter from the local newspaper, Cara Chapman, was there doing the same thing. And I was like, what did you ask to get those? And she just said, um, she gave me a couple names. So when I went up to the desk, I gave the same names and I got the, um, the 70 pages of um, witness statements from pledges who were hazed really brutally. And when we finally went through the... Um, through all the papers, we found out that the pledges were spat on and thrown up on and urinated on and <laughs> locked Christ. in the frat house for like days at a time, um, like over the weekend with loud rock music playing, blindfolded. They had to like eat live goldfish. <sighs> so I ended up publishing this 1100 word and people want to join these it. places like these these fraternities they actually go through all this and they actually want to be a part of it rather than yeah. going well f*** this it's like yeah. cult yeah. mentality though it's like I don't know it's why everyone drank the cyanide Kool-Aid I guess yeah. same thing but um so we published it and um the frat boys were really mad and it ended up a couple months went by and I didn't even know I was up for this award but I got um, we got the New York Press Association winners in the college division and in the state division. We opened it up, and there was my name. <laughs> I was so I was shocked, and then it was first place for best college news story. Nice. Okay. Well, well done. Good job. And you also worked uh, at the Press Republican, which is the local newspaper up in Plattsburgh. It's yeah. not a yeah. conservative paper or anything like that. No. Nope. Um, uh, and, and what's the other experience? Um, well, there was Due North Magazine, mm -hmm. yep. um, Cardinal Point's kind of sister publication, and then uh, the Leader Herald in uh, Gloversville, New York, which is right about where I live. Okay. And then for people that just want to get to know you a little bit, why don't you give them the dime on uh, 
<laughs> on some of the things that you like to do, Dying. you know, some of the stuff that you're interested I in. I don't know what that means. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's, give them the scoop. All right, so <laughs> before I started working here, they made me do this horrible quiz. They right, emailed I, to me. I don't think we have to tell it. This is... Trust me, if you go out for drinks with Rebecca, have her tell this story, but we don't have to tell it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but why don't you tell them what is, you know, as far as uh, what it, what your interests are, just so that some of the PR folks that are listening can get to know you a little bit better. Um, my interests, um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty laid back and normal. I like to go, um, like my favorite things to do at home where we like to go find, um, farmers markets and like little shops that we've never been to before and like spend all our money at them and we like to find like kind of hole in the wall bars and breweries and places for wine tasting and then once we spend all our money and we can't do any of that anymore um I pretty much just like to hang out with my friends and read and um um (laughs) you nailed it you did well so her first story is up, her first official story, real story, is up on uh, Chart IQ um, and Finsemble, right? So yes. that was, yep. they are partnering or they're integrating the Electron, Electron framework, so not uh, Electron from legacy Thomson Reuters. Um, yeah, that's with a C, not a K. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that story is up online, and so give it some it clicks sure just to give her the, uh, the boost, you know. Give me the clout. Yeah, the clout, exactly. Yep. And uh, if you have any story ideas, if you just want to catch up with her, um, it is... If you want to hear the real story behind the 21 questions. The 21 questions, it's a funny one. I will not be answering Trust me, any I'll, emails. I will be glad to tell you that story to anybody. Um, My price is one pound of Nirvana IPA at the White Horse. <laughs> uh, it's Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A dot Natal... Natal N A T A L E. Nailed it. At infopro digital.com. And what's uh, the phone number for your direct line here? Do you know? I don't know either. That's it's, okay. We'll figure it out. 646 area code. Good. Yeah. That, yeah. That, so it, so just start dialing 646 646 and then just go from there. Yeah, and you'll hit it eventually. You'll get through eventually. <laughs> All right. Um, well, Rebecca, welcome to the team. Uh, we hope you enjoy this uh, while you're here. And uh, she's like a deer in the headlights right now, just having to be on this podcast. But uh, she's got her hands clenched together. <laughs> she was looking down the whole time that she was talking. Well, it was amazing because she came in the first day and she was like pretty confident, looking good. And I was like, you know, at two My o'clock, we're going to go through ethics and we're going to go through uh, financial markets one yeah. one. And I could literally see it as I was explaining like what listed instruments are, what OTC are. <laughs> yeah. What exchanges are, what regulators are, all the basic stuff. I could just see her eyes like slowly widening. What have I and done? And her face paling. <laughs> like, oh my god, it's fine. It gets better. Trust me, okay. we're all good. So. It's, yeah, exactly. It actually yeah. doesn't get better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's just this is what it is. You but, learn yeah. how to handle your drink better. Yeah, that's the exactly. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we will be back next week. We have another guest lined up for next week, though I can't quite remember who it is. So, and just in case they back yeah. out, we'll just one second. It's yeah, we're back again. Better be ready to talk industry shop then. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week. Until then, enjoy the weekend.